Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Breakfast Show network. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Gemma, good morning. Gemma, what are you thankful for on this bright and sunny morning? I am thankful for how God has blessed me, actually. Because a couple of days ago, I didn't have a car. And I was facing homelessness by the end of this week. And homelessness today, and transport. Homelessness, well, see, homeless, and transport. homelessness is not such a terrible thing if you have a car because you can just uh, crash in my car. Crash in your car. Yeah, people, except, people live in their cars. Except my car's at the mechanic. Yes. And I need to move out from the church that I'm currently living at by the end of the week. So a couple of days ago, I was like, I have some problems that need you, to be fixed. You do have problems. And today, I'm sweet. Oh, okay. So you got a car in. And I got a car to borrow until I get my own car back from the mechanic, which should hopefully be today. And a house came through. Well, that's cool. I know. God has just been like, "Yep, here are the problems, and you've been praying for them, and now I've got the solution." Problem solved, right there. Well done. Praise God. What are you thankful for this I morning? I am thankful for my calendar. Okay. Have you seen my calendar? No, I haven't. Look at my calendar. Okay. It's on the wall. In here. Yeah, up there. there. Oh, okay. That was the only place I could find a nail <laughs> that was already on the wall. It's a little hard to see. Yeah, no, it's not. I can read that from here. You have better eyesight. Okay, than so me. so here's this here's this thing. I don't know where this calendar came from, but it's really really nice. Okay, why? Why well, is Ken, it a nice calendar? It's a Ken Duncan calendar. How could Ken Duncan not produce a nice calendar? Okay, the photo is pretty cool. It's like this beautiful waterfall yeah, it's feature. Like the greatest photographer like- ever. Around the place, you know? Okay. It's a pretty good calendar. It is. It's yes, a really it's nice calendar. Good. It randomly turned up in the studio in a box with no details. Nice. Went, went all over the box, couldn't find any details, no idea where it's come from. Mystery calendar. But so I opened the box and there was a calendar inside and it was a really, really nice calendar. It is a very so nice I hung calendar. it on the wall. Awesome. Yeah. In the studio, right here. So wherever that calendar came from. Um, thank you, and if we're not supposed to hang it on the wall here, if it's supposed to go somewhere else, then we'll let us down. know, and we will pass it on. But Oops. for the sake of not having further information, that's where it is. This is a reminder, you're listening to the Delayed Broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. And coming up in today's news, we'll get an update on the coronavirus. We seem to do that every day. It seems to be about all there is on our news feed at the moment, but we're also going to talk, we're going to have a very humorous story about Brachiosaurus. Ooh, okay, cool. Yes, it's going to be amazing. Stay tuned. This is The Corner Room with First Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things 
for prophecy They will pass away As for tongues They will cease As for knowledge It will pass away For we know You were listening to The Corner Room with 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 10 here on The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. And Gemma is about to give us our first clue for the quiz of the day. Gemma, what have you got for us right there? The quiz of the day question is, what number am I? Anywhere between zero and infinity. Nice. That's a lot of numbers. The first clue, the chapter in Exodus that records the first Passover and the death of all firstborn in Egypt. Okay. If you, I've got no idea. If you've got an idea, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669. I can give you a range. I know that it is between... However many chapters there are in Exodus. Here and here. Oh, okay. Oh, you narrowed it down. I mean, you, you're it right. It is between I, No, those. I know I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> If I was to take a stab, I'd go there. That was was a complete 100% stab because I haven't got the faintest (laughs) idea. But somebody out there might. Somebody might. Indeed. Anyway, um, I think I stabbed too low. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Okay. So what have we got happening in positively different news from around the world? Gemma. As per always, I get all of my positive news from Facebook and Instagram because I'm I'm just I'm that generation. So there was a viral video. Okay. Okay, and it was it's a little bit of an old viral video, but I but I have a point. So the viral video is back from mid 2019. Okay, so, so uh, up to date news here on. Uh... No, 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 I'm, I'm tying it in with an up to date story. <laughs> oh, wait okay. for it. Wait right, for right, it. Right, I'm, right. I'm being clever. Okay. okay. We'll wait. We'll wait. So the viral video is about a mum and her son, and they're mm. at a skate park, and the boy is seven years old. 
um, except he's skateboarding a little bit differently. He's hooked up to a big framework on wheels and his mum is pushing him around. So he's standing on a skateboard hooked up to a giant frame that, right. he's, that he's holding on to. And his mum is wheeling him around and he has cerebral palsy or cerebral palsy. Uh-huh. What do you know about cerebral palsy? Nothing. I know a little bit about cerebral palsy, but I know nothing about cere- cerebral palsy. I mean, it's the same thing. It, <laughs> it's Shell laughing in the background. It's the same thing. It just depends on how you pronounce it. Okay, but for those of us who c- pronounce it correctly as... Uh, cerebral? Cerebral. It's... Because but it's spelt cerebral because cerebral's got to do with your mind. I know. I knew we were going to have know. this argument. I knew Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> see, but it's like this. It's a really, really terrible disease. Yes. And cerebral doesn't go with terrible. <laughs> cerebral goes with terrible. <laughs> so it has to be cerebral. There you go. That's logic. That's your logic behind That them. is absolute logic. You can't, you can't dispute that. You can't deny that. <laughs> oh, no. We have just educated the entire Faith FM audience on the correct way of pronouncing cerebral palsy. This gives me an insight into your logic. <laughs> wow. Okay, fine. For the remainder of this story, I will humour you. Cerebral palsy. I think that's good because I have a humorous story coming up. Okay, great. Well, anyway, the point of this viral video... Um, yeah, was to kind of promote cere- cerebral palsy and to kind Because of, there is no cure for it. Okay. And some of the statistics of those who struggle uh, with this particular yeah, problem in Australia, there are 34,000 people mm. in Australia that live with this condition. Yeah. And in the world, 17 million. Yep. That number is, like, huge. Um, wow, so horrific. Horrific. Cere- yeah. So... Cerebral, cerebral, means of the brain, which we're going to move on from that. And palsy is a lack of muscle control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the majority of people that you know struggle with this go on to lead a full, normal life because of the advancements that we've had in medicine and technology and different surgeries and things like that. Obviously, there are still some difficulties, um, but there have been major improvements uh, made. And one of them is a new study that was released two days ago. So, current news. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, now it's going to come up to date. Here we go. So, there was a new study that was released two days ago. We've, and this we've, new we've advancement there. that they're working on is a robotic exoskeleton. Oh, cool. Like a mech. Yeah. Yes. Bring on the mechs. <laughs> so, the, the idea is that uh, you would wear this as um, you would walk. And the goal is to strengthen the muscles in your legs. I have some friends with cerebral palsy. I wonder whether if they get a mech, they will let me drive it. <laughs> yeah, this hits uh, close to home for me as well because my cousin also has cerebral palsy. Right. So yeah. I think, yeah, with that number of statistics, I'm sure everybody out there nearly yeah, we knows all know somebody. Someone. We who, all know someone. Yeah, so this study came out two days ago um, and the idea behind it is, yeah, to help with the loss of muscle control that a lot of CP sufferers have in the area of mobility. So helping them be able to walk and, you know, be able to do things for themselves, have some independence, have a little bit of freedom, because a lot of the time, if you can't move, you need help with everything. Like Mm. if you're not able to get up or walk around, you can't do daily basic things that we all take for granted a lot of the time. So um, yeah, this study has got a lot of promise to it. So the exoskeleton was first tested on um, two young boys, ages 9 and 13, and they had the ability to walk for the very first time continuously for six minutes without support or help. Okay. So each of these boys, for the very first time, was able to walk because of this exoskeleton. So the promise here, 
um, with more development and more time is amazing. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's that's fantastic. Absolutely. Huge development. Yeah. So it was only a small study, though. That's the thing. The study had only been going on for a couple of months and they've been developing start this somewhere. technology. That's true. So there is a promise, um, but it's nowhere near ready to be mass produced or anything like that yet. But um, the other issue is it only helps with leg atrophy, muscle atrophy. It doesn't do anything for the your arms, the limbs. Yes. So yet but yeah it's like i said it's got so much potential because if you can solve legs then surely you're going to be able to solve arms yeah i mean i feel like the technology would be able to do the same thing because it's your same kind of movement working on all limbs but with legs you also have to solve balance which you don't have to do with arms so i'd say that they've started with the harder part first maybe that's a good thing yeah and i reckon the arms i reckon once they get the legs solved Mm. and like yep done we've got legs sorted then it's like arms will be just like, ah, oh, that's just an extension of what we already have, mm. a little bit simpler, a few less things to have to worry about. We don't have to, you know, arms, you don't have to worry about the, uh, the, 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 the person falling flat on their face all the time. Um, yeah, I think arms will be a piece of cake. And yeah, they've already had, like I said, they've already had some success, you know, six minutes for these, for these kids to be able to walk for the very first time. Oh, man, that like, would be just wild. Imagine what the families would have felt, what the kids would be feeling, the doctors, the researchers behind this, the people that design the technology. Like, that's a win. That's amazing. It is. It is. And of course, if I was a kid, I would want my mech to look absolutely <laughs> fully sick, like one of the ones you see off of, like, you know, some kind of sci-fi movie you want it some cool color yeah customize flames on it you want to like do it up real nice make it look like you know some fierce machine (laughs) every kid's dream i think oh yeah just bring it on (laughs) i have another little story for you it's a bit of a funny one i'm sticking with my florida theme because you remember my news from yesterday was about florida so there's another funny story which has come out of florida recently there was a crocodile (laughs) that was seen in the canal near Florida, one of no, the canals wasn't. in Florida. What? No, Alli- there wasn't. Alligator? Yes. Sorry. Okay. I'll, I'll research better to the next time, I promise. <laughs> okay. Alligator. And it was using a pool noodle. <laughs> okay. There were photos taken of this giant alligator in the water paddling with a bright yellow pool noodle underneath it, sticking up on both sides. <laughs> I wonder how that got stuck there. I wonder what the alligator thought once he got this pool noodle and it's like, why can't I sink? I'm trying to sink. I can't get out of sight. Why can't I go down? Yeah, exactly. So he was right on the surface of the water, which is how he could get good good photos of it. So yeah, jump on Google or Instagram or Facebook and search for an alligator with a pool noodle and trust me, you'll find it. It went, it's gotten pretty big. I reckon it'll go viral. It was only released yesterday, the photo, but it's very funny. And, and, we're, not, and we're, we're sure this is not uh, photoshopped. It's real. Why do you doubt all my stories, okay? <laughs> First the iguanas, now the alligator. You don't believe me. <laughs> the iguanas is like the best story we ever covered here on Faith FM. I've, I'm just like, I just wish we could have a weather report like that. <laughs> Beware of, what was it? Falling iguanas. Well, we got drop bears, right? But the falling iguanas, <laughs> when I went home and looked them up, were actually a real thing. Thank Drop you. Drop bears are oh, not a real thing. Thank you. Finally. So I tried it to convince... It was just like, it was the best weather report ever. <laughs> I tried to convince Lyle yesterday with photos and things Cold on my and Instagram. Cold and... with beware of falling iguanas. I'm glad you finally admitted that you believe me. <laughs> it, was, it was just like <laughs> epic weather report. I tried. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stories. But Indeed. yeah, alligator with a pool noodle. And Iguanas falling from the sky. Uh, Quality stories uh, here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, just to make your day happy because, uh, you know, this is positively different news. So we want your day to be happy and we want to find those little stories that are going to bring joy to your life here on Faith FM. We're going to come up with, uh, we're going to come back with some more serious stories coming up after this. Um, I did talk 
tell you I'd be telling a story about a uh, a humorous story about a brachiosaurus, but we're also going to have um, update on the coronavirus. And if we get time, we're going to yeah we're going to talk about this. Definitely going to talk about uh, cannabis down in the ACT. Um, I'm going to make time for that story because some people just need to um, get a reality check. Anyway, this is Soulsters. Oh, there will be peace in the valley for me. One day there will be peace in the valley for me. I pray. Oh, no sadness, no sorrow, no more trouble. There will be, there will be peace in the valley for me. Welcome back, guys. You were listening to Soul Stories with Peace in the Valley here on Faith FM Breakfast Show. And Gemma is about to give us another clue for our quiz. What have you got for us there, Gemma? What number am I? The synagogue ruler's daughter, whom Jesus raised from the dead, was this many years old. Ooh, 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 ooh. Let me write a number down. Does he have it? Yes, he does. Well done. I told you I stabbed too low, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit low. But yeah. I had the correct range. Anyway, that's just uh, me um, maintaining my dignity after having had no idea what it was. Don't forget, forget to give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669 if you know the answer 
what age was Jairus's daughter? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. So for more serious stories there and around the world, I was going to tell a humorous story about a humorous. <laughs> it's actually uh, not that humorous, but it is about a humorous. What? A Brachiosaurus humorous. Oh, gosh. Yes, these are the these are the dad jokes oh, coming wow. out this morning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, go. so this uh, <laughs> this particular humorous was discovered uh, last year, and um, in a sort of a remote part of Utah, where they find a lot of dinosaur bones, they got a permit to excavate it, and so they were able to do that. But then to actually get it out of there, out of its location, they had to use two Clydesdale horses. So it's kind of like a scene really? from a Western movie to get this humerus out of Hang on a its second. Location. Wait, 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 wait. So you're excavating dinosaur bones. And yes. with all of today's modern technology, yes. we used horses to get it out. That's right. Because what? the only other way of getting it out was via um, a helicopter. And they couldn't afford a helicopter. So they ended up... And they couldn't get wheeled transport in there of any type. Right. And so they ended up... So what they did was they, they, they dug it out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they braced it with wood. So it's got you know a couple of wooden splints on it. Wow. They covered it with hessian and plaster. Put a pu- plaster cast around it, as you do with a bone, um, to stop it from breaking. And then they were able to manoeuvre it into a position where the two Clydesdales can, could get to it. Um, with an improvised um, cart that they were able to load it on what? and drag it out of there. What? I'm just so surprised that that's how they did it. Like with today's technology, I with cannot believe technology, that that's how they got it out of there. That was the only way it was coming out. That's amazing. Okay, so the Brachiosaurus is one of the most famous dinosaurs because it weighed around about 30 tons. So when you look at this humerus, which is the your upper arm bone. Yes. It was longer. It's oh, going to be huge, right? And thicker. Than any of the team who were digging it up, what, like full size human beings, full size human beings, and that's the upper arm. That's the upper arm bone. Oh wow! That so this is been pretty huge. impressive stuff. They used to weigh around about thirty tons. So your average elephant, male elephant, yeah, Af- male African elephant, which is the biggest of them, weighs somewhere between uh, two to seven tons. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, mm-hmm. and this thing weighed about thirty tons. Imagine coming across <laughs> that when you're walking through the That's bush. More than three times as big. Whoa! And of course, they were supposed to have lived around about one hundred and fifty million years ago. And of course, that's what the news report says. And the news report, you know, we're going to have to put up with these news reports now for the next thirty years until they catch up with you know what was discovered what nearly 10 years ago now mm-hmm. that they're not 150 million years old because they have soft tissue in them mm. um anyway so uh the other thing that was interesting was they found that this one was in a layer of rock w- was several million years older than any other brachiosaurus skeletons that they've ever discovered and so now they're thinking wow these things have been around for a whole lot more many millions <laughs> of years uh-huh. than what we thought they were uh-huh it's amazing how every time they find something when it comes to dinosaurs, it just kind of melts their brains because none of it ever fits with their models. It's like, why? why don't they toss their models out and start over again? Um, so the other interesting thing about the Brachiosaurus, of course, is that there are, there are no complete skeletons of the Brachiosaurus in existence. So we actually have no idea what it really looked like. Wow. Like no complete? No. There's only ever been 11 Partial skeletons. With this one, there was one humerus, there was parts of a second humerus, and a couple of ribs. 
That was it. So the rest of it is basically just our imaginations to what we think it would look like. It could look completely yes, different to could. what we actually think it looks like. And this is one of the interesting things about paleontology because when you read all of your dinosaur books when you're a kid, uh, few people realise just how much of that has just been made up. Yeah. People are just like, oh, yeah, we think it looks uh, about like this. And, you know, probably looked completely different to that. Of course, a lot of the drawings are based on the African giraffe titan. Or giraffe, uh, yeah, giraffe titan, uh, which was probably just a brachiosaurus, okay, in Africa, right? Because they're kind of the same, okay. But because they came from two parts of the world, and because you had scientists who wanted to earn themselves a name, they have to be two different species. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> okay, so that was the uh, humorous story about uh, brachiosaurus. I mean, it uh, was kind of funny. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It was quite, yeah. I would love to have been there. Humorous I mean, you see the pictures of it, and on, kind of honestly, it just looks like a uh, a Western movie scene. They're just dragging, you know, back from the the bone wars of the turn of the you know the the nineteen hundreds when everybody was go- out there going after dinosaur bones, and that's how they were doing it back in the day, and that's how they're still doing it, you know, one hundred and twenty years later. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay, coronavirus update. I'm, I know you all want to have an update on the coronavirus, uh, so we now have nine cases in Australia. Uh, making us the fifth most infected country in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're quite close to the top of the list. Mm. Um, and when I first when I first uh, read my story to get my update on the coronavirus this morning, there were 7,500 or 7,500 7, uh, diagnosed cases across Australia. When I updated that 41 minutes later... We were up to eight thousand one hundred diagnosed cases. Whoa, that's that's a pretty big yeah. It's gap. starting to go. Yeah, it's starting to go. Mm. Starting to go pretty crazy. Got my friend Adams just walked into the studio. He's going to join us for the interview of the day, and I'm thinking he's probably wondering why he came all the way out to the UK to the fifth most infected country in the world when it comes <laughs> to coronavirus. Um, so it has already exceeded and and surpassed where the SARS virus. Uh, was able to, to, you know, spread to in its entire period of uh, being an epidemic. It's gone further than that. It's gone further than SARS already. More people infected than SARS already. Wait. Like when SARS was like finished and they like had it. Yeah, finished. Man. Yeah. That's scary. It's going nuts. That's scary. It is going nuts. So there's 170 people have died. So that's a lot less than SARS yet. Mm. Uh, So far, praise God that it's less, but uh, tragic for those families. Um, so, so far, New South Wales has four cases. Victoria has three cases. Queensland has two cases. Uh, what's interesting is that 200 US citizens have been evacuated from China and placed in 72 hours quarantine. And mm. I'm kind of wondering what's that going to do when this has a 14-day incubation period. But anyway, they're talking about evacuating Australians to uh, Christmas Island. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. And leave them there for two weeks. Yep. Makes a lot Enough more sense. Enough for the incubation time, so you know. Yep. yep. Uh, three Japanese people who were evacuated by the Japanese government um, have found to be infected. And out of those three, two of them had no symptoms hmm. at all. And this is a bit of a scary thing about it because you get these um, super spreaders who just sort of have no symptoms and they spread it everywhere. 
Um, so the SARS virus killed about 800 people globally when it went through. The MERS virus killed about 700 people when it went through. And now we have our next big one, which is spreading around the world. Anyway, finally, I did promise that I'd talk about the ACT. You kind of wonder why we have an ACT, an Australian Capital Territory, because it just seems to be a, a, a place where people find excuse to make dumb laws. Ooh. And the latest dumb law that they have made in the ACT is to make cannabis legal. What? So you can have 50 grams of it. You can have two plants um, or four per household. And uh, the ACT government says, oh, we're not encouraging the use of cannabis. Well, you just made it illegal. But we'll made it legal. Make it legal. So what, yeah. what do you think you are doing? How, what, how do you think this is going to solve the problem? Like- you know, and, and we have... We have decades, if not a century, of research into the best way of dealing with uh, recreational drugs. And the only thing that has ever worked has been prohibition. Yeah. You know, and they're still like, oh, it's still illegal to be drug driving. Well, what do you expect is going to happen when you legalize the drug? (laughs) I mean, seriously, what are these guys on? They've been smoking a whole bunch of it too much down there themselves, I would say. Uh, But they're like, oh, people are more likely to seek help. Well, that has never happened in the past. And if you look at the history of Prohibition, you can see how incredibly effective it was. And it was only voted out because people wanted to get their alcohol back again. Um, And, you know, this is exactly the same thing taking place right here. So much I'm down to tell you But you can't bear to hear me now In a little while I must move on But I'll send my love to you And you can't call my name
Welcome back, guys. That was Josh Garrels with For You. You're listening to The Breakfast Show, and Gemma is about to give us the next clue for the quiz. What do you got for us there, Gemma? The number of stones used by Elijah to make an altar on Mount Carmel. Okay, how many stones did he use to build that altar? If you know the answer, 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. And there will be a prize coming your way, or you can text us on 0491-064-669 with your answer. How many stones did Elijah use to build the altar on Mount Carmel? Well, joining us in the studio this morning in a very timely manner is Adam Ramden. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, Adam, of course, is uh, joining us all the way from the UK, the United Kingdom. Adam, I have to ask this morning, on this momentous day, what does it feel like to be no longer European? He's lost for words. (laughs) (laughs) The reality is the Brits never felt very European anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, you know it's one of those interesting things because I always used to try and figure out is Britain part of uh, part part of Europe or not. You know, whenever I sort of looked at a map and you think about you've got Western Europe, you've got Eastern Europe, and you've got the UK. It was always it always kind of felt that way, and of course then Britain was part of the EU, but. It just didn't feel European when you, you know, when you go to Europe, it's like, oh, it feels like I'm, I'm in Europe. And then you go to the UK and it's like, oh, this is... It was culturally, and I think even in people's minds, it was always kind of different. We would always like, not all of us, but oftentimes if you would travel to Holland or Germany or France, you would say, oh, it's good to be here in Europe, which would often get them annoyed because they'd be like, you're part of Europe, you know? <laughs> like, no, it's good to be here in Europe. So there was... I think Brits always struggle with that idea of, I mean, geographically and politically, we were part of Europe, but culturally, I think there was a big difference. That and, and emotionally, there was an emotional, there's an emotional gap there. Yeah, that bit of water made a big difference. Yeah, the moat. <laughs> yeah, Britain's, Britain's got that fantastic moat around it, which has uh, protected it so many times down through history. Anyway, um, Adam, I'm, as, a, uh, as, as, a, as a now former European from the UK... Um, I'm wondering whether you can give us a little bit of insight into the EU, how it came into existence, and how Britain came to become a part of Europe. It officially started the EU in 1992, I believe it was, or 93, around there. But its origins go back to like the 1950s, even late 40s and 60s. I think in the out, in the, what would you say, the... the, outfall from world war two and world war one there was a general desire in europe to see peace on the continent i mean it's a it's a war scarred continent for not just the world war two one and two but you know hundreds of years there's been war after war after war so some the noble intentions of let's bring a an organization between nations so we're not fighting each other and there's peace on the continent was probably one of the original desires to bring this political union about and it started off with the common agricultural policy. It was called the EC or the European Economic Community in the 1960s and 70s. And then it kind of progressed until the 90, early 1990s. It became an official European Union and it was legislated. And Okay, so when this happened, a lot of people saw this as a potential threat to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. Mm. And of course, this you know discussion always comes up in relationship to the EU. 
Um, so we should we should talk about it a little bit. When when you know if you go back to the Roman Empire, which was the last of the empires of the Daniel two prophecy, mm-hmm. we've been doing Daniel two in our in our uh, Bible study time here recently, you know, and then the Bible says that this empire will never be reunited together again, and from that point forward, when it collapses, you've almost got every generation living under some kind of attempt to unite mm-hmm. it together. Now, nearly all of those attempts to reunite that old empire were you know military. Mm-hmm. Conquest, um, which you know, by the time you come down to the nineteen forties, fifties, and sixties, you know, everybody can see that's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this a way of kind of getting around? You know, let's 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 create some unity here within you know the old empire um, and 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 get around the whole need to have it take place by military conquest. I think so, and a lot of people would view that it was an attempt to get by peace what you can't get by war. Mm-hmm. So instead of being in a military conquest, well, now let's have this, you know, peaceful union together. But as time progressed, what started off at least what we were told is let's just, we're doing just this just to, you know, stop war, etc. Gradually, year by year, the the control and the restrictions and the uh, the union got tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, if you if you look at the old empire, of course, Britain was a part of the old uh, Roman Empire, and you've got some just amazing, fantastic Roman ruins there mm-hmm. in Britain to this day as a relic from that. Um, was Britain a part of the EU from the very beginning? From ninety two, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you guys, you guys have been right, right in there from the yeah. beginning. Um, now you've got Brexit happening. Tonight, yeah, we kind of we kind of expected <laughs> we we kind of thought for a while there it was just never going to happen. happen. Yeah, it, was yeah, like, it dragged on and on and on. What's it been like to live in the UK while this has just been dragging and dragging? I mean, three years now. There's a lot of sense. I mean, people are div- it's divided the country. You got people that obviously really want it, and that was you know in the referendum that was the majority of the country that voted for it. Then you had the uh, the close minority that voted against it. But I think now a lot of people just want to get it done. Yep. They're sort of over it. Just like just get it done. Just do it's it. It's just dragging on and on and on. I mean, now to reverse what was the Democratic vote and what was voted in Parliament, if it was to ever change, would be a huge, lengthy um, legal process and democratic process. So, Well, and and that's the thing that sort of, you know, I th- I, I think stunned a lot of us here in Australia is people who were saying, no, we should just not do this. And it's like, wow, you've got a, a de- democratic government and you've got people within that government that are arguing we should just ignore what people have voted. What does that do to democracy? You can't, like, you can't do that. Like, there was a... And the truth is that the, the referendum was a... It was only an advisory referendum, so there was no legal strength to the referendum in a sense it was just this is what the will of the people is it still relied on the government to enact legislation after that but they did and they you know they they triggered what's called article 50 and it wasn't just the one party that triggered it all of the parties voted for it so and then like a year or so later then people started to backpedal say well it's not just the people that asked for this but parliament actually voted it so now they were just getting 
Okay, so what's 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 interesting here in Australia is just you know as a, as observers from the other side of the world, and of course you get fed, fed what the media wants to feed you, and you know in the lead up to the referendum, everybody was saying, oh, this will never happen. You know, England's never going to leave the EU. This would be a crazy thing to happen. And mm-hmm. then of course they the, the the referendum goes through, and they vote to leave. And then the news was all like, oh, now that everybody's voted for it, now they're all freaking out because like, oh, what have we done? We've made this terrible decision. Now we need to reverse it. And then you've got this whole long protracted process where it almost seems impossible to leave the EU. And it's almost like, you know, Britain comes to the door and stops at the door and comes back in and gets up to the door, you know, and it just, mm-hmm. just goes on and on and on and on. And we were all, you know, wondering. And, and of course, the media is like, oh, yeah, no, it's never going to happen. And then, of course, you have the election uh, a few months ago, which in many ways was a second referendum. Pretty much. Well, it was us. It was like. It was our second election since Brexit. So it's interesting to look at the 2017 election and the 2019 election. So 2016 was a referendum and then 2017 was an election. And some said, well, that's the second referendum. And interestingly, the, the ruling government lost seats then. So people are like, well, that, that, that shows that, you know, there was a tide of opinion moving away from it. But then in 2019, which you could maybe say is the second or the third referendum, bang, it just... It was it was absolutely it was convincing. It was a landslide, so it 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 showed I mean, that Boris Johnson just smashed it completely. Yeah, completely. So by then, it's like, well, this is this is showing people want it, want it want it to get done and get it over and done with and move on. And I think people recognize the government needed to be in a position of strength to negotiate with the EU. Part of the problem over the two years was that they were negotiating from, uh, you know, they were minority government and they they didn't have the strength to say we want this or we want this or we want this. By having now a majority government, there's a little bit more strength in a negotiation when they sit at the table. What were the biggest issues that were driving Brexit? I mean, we've heard you know a lot about it, but from your perspective, just the average person on the street, what were the biggest issues that were driving Brexit? You know, when you talk to other you know fellow Brits and they're like, "Yeah, we voted for Brexit," what was their motivation? There's a couple of uh, things that come up. One of them, I wouldn't say in any particular order. One of them is the issue of national sovereignty that your government and your le- your legal legislative judiciary is now superseded by another another power higher than that that's that comes up quite often the other one always is money and jobs so with the eu there came the freedom of goods and the freedom of movement meaning that goods can be traded all across the eu but people can move anywhere within the eu as well so it becomes kind of like one big country so people from you know Germany can live in England, etc. And there's there's pros to that, but there's perceived there's some cons as well. If people just tend to head to the more prosperous countries or the countries with the best benefits, etc. And so that that was also a, a factor as well. And then there's you know people wanted you know industry to be boosted and rejuvenated and things like that. There's fishing as well. Like you know people can fish anywhere in anyone's waters, and you know your your, your, your national territory is not really a territory anymore so in many ways it was really a diluting of um you know the various nations of the european union Mm -hmm. um and in some ways that then you could argue that you know if time was to continue then potentially that could become a threat to the daniel II prophecy could be it could be yeah it never was as it was because it never did away with national sovereignty no no 
and now it's never going to be a threat because the UK has pulled out and I don't see that they're ever going to you know, turn around and I don't like, ever go back in and, and, and you wonder now the UK which was the second biggest economy in the EU has pulled out is, is that going to you know is the house of cards going to fall down well, this is an interesting question because if you look at uh, immigration, for instance, which is a very vexed subject, um, you've got this situation where, you know, if you can immigrate to the EU, and so let's say that you're coming from uh, uh, an impoverished nation and mm -hmm. you get into the EU, why would you choose to go to, say, Italy or Spain or somewhere like that when Germany is an option? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that means now that the UK has pulled out as the second biggest economy, Germany's going to feel the pressure because mm -hmm. everybody's like, no, we forget Spain, and already forget feel, Italy. I mean, already feeling the pressure. It's it's not all peace over there either. But so, how long before the Germans <laughs> have their own referendum? It's like, yeah, we want out of this. I mean, the whole thing starts I think, to I think collapse and fall The way apart. that the UK has been dealt with by the EU illustrates something quite interesting. That they, the EU's policy essentially has been no negotiation. This is what you get, and and there's and there's no negotiation. They wanted to make it as difficult as possible for this divorce to take place, so that there's you know you can't have your cake and you can't eat it at the same time. Almost to tell the other countries, listen, if you try and go, it's going to be very very tough. So I think the UK's had a a pretty raw negotiating deal from the EU to try and scare other nations off leaving as well. Okay, so what are the consequences of that going to be? Is the EU now going to punish the UK for leaving? I think I think they'll try in the sense of, you know, maybe not as good a trade deal or things like that. But we'll see, you know, how, how, how the negotiation goes. I don't think they really can. The, the EU would be the biggest trade partner of the UK and vice versa once we leave. So it's in everyone's best interest to keep good good relations let's say the house of cards does collapse uh you know germany is feeling the pressure because you know everybody wants to be just in that one country and nobody wants to go anywhere else etc etc let's say the house of cards does collapse and of course we look at the history of the eu you know originally uh put together to um to rid europe of the wars that have plagued the continent for the last however many thousand years, uh, does that bring with it the danger of armed conflict in Western Europe again? Mm, potentially, but I don't really think so. I think the culture of society is not really. I mean, we've had way. we've had uh, we've had seventy years. They call it the long peace, mm. um, and of course that has you know the major driving force I think behind that do. has been. It could do. I mean, the relations between countries have never been great, and it's really only papered over the cracks with the EU. Whether it would lead to something armed or, or worse than that i don't know i mean there's there's a, a big distaste for war there mm. adam has been fantastic having you on the show this morning and just um getting a sort of a first hand on the on the ground view of what's happening with uh brexit and uh enjoy being a uh, a citizen of the uk and no longer of the eu <laughs> thank you <laughs> and uh thank you so much for joining us here on faith fm breakfast show this is alison brook She's pressing as of late Who's your favorite candidate? Which front man will prevail? 
I've no king And there's no system functioning That proves so much as anything These suits can only fail Say I'm ready to attack But I've seen princes walking And I've seen fools on horseback Did you hear the words they spoke? They spun their meaning like a joke Interpreted by common folk To mean quite something else But that's the way of politics It's not so much the truth that sticks But getting just a few more clicks In those were powers Hamilton Adventist Church in Newcastle, we have a food pantry service for the community. Everyone is welcome to join us for a free dinner. Enjoy good company and have a great time. All you need is $10 to buy a numbered ticket and you can collect a trolley's load of food ranging from fruits, veggies, tin food, pasta bread and toiletries. Every Thursday, the food pantry starts at 4.45pm with a 5pm start for dinner. Find us at Hamilton Adventist Church at 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton every Thursday evening. All will be welcomed with love and a smile. We really hope to see you there.
Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Jesus 